Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt Scott. Now, we're going to go into the principles of overlanding, overland and expedition trailers. And for that, we've brought on Mario Donovan. Now, Mario has almost three decades of building, selling, and supporting overland trailers around the globe. Uh, But there's not currently a conflict of interest for Mario because he isn't currently selling overland trailers. So we go into the deep dive on suspension. We talk about chassis development. We talk about the length, the different types of trailers. We also talk about uh, the importance of electric brake, but we go into a lot of the systems and a lot of the considerations that you have before you buy your first trailer. There's nothing better than the great outdoors, but enjoying the great outdoors can create unwanted odors like campfire smoke, wet dog, and even that pesky, musty smell in your gear, tents, and vehicles. With the push of a button, you can eliminate those unwanted odors fast, safe, and effectively. Not a cover-up, true odor elimination. So go ahead and start every adventure odor-free. Get outside, go explore with O3 Outdoors. Well, Mario, thanks so much for being on the podcast with us again. Uh, For those that are listening, we did an interview with, with Mario about a year ago where he talked about growing up in Ethiopia and his adventures mm-hmm. around the world. Uh, but the reason why you're on the podcast today is because this is going to be the principles of overlanding, overland trailers. And you were actually the very first person, Martin and you, were the first two people I ever met that had an overland trailer. And it was at, I think, a Sportsman's Expo. Sportsman's Expo in Phoenix. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Yeah, and that was, that was a very long time ago. And you guys were actually importing trailers from Africa. That's correct. And then from all of your learnings, you actually began producing your own trailers. Mm -hmm. And then you actually, in many ways, kind of revolutionized the overland trailer market in the United States. So we have the benefit of having you here as uh, kind of a masterclass on trailers. You don't currently make trailers, so there's no conflict of interest. So we we can speak openly. Now, you may in the future, but uh, at least at the moment, you don't do that. Um, and I've personally used your trailer, so has Matt, and so we, mm-hmm. we know how your trailers work. Uh, so we're going to dig into a broad range of topics around trailers, but let's first kind of talk about the different kinds of trailers uh, that are available to the overland traveler. And maybe we start off with kind of the typical motorcycle trailer. Now, you have a motorcycle trailer, Matt. And Mario, you made motorcycle overland trailers. Yeah, we did make a trailing arm air suspension uh, flatbed trailer was for motorcycles. Yeah, and it seemed like, as I recall, the goal was for it to have a wide range of uses. Uh, so you could you know, go to Home Depot with it exactly. as easily as you could put a couple big adventure bikes on it. That's what I remember was unique about yours mm-hmm. is it would take two big adventure bikes. Yeah, it was a snug fit, but you could do it. And yeah. then uh, later on, we developed an, al- an alternate version of that where you could put a chaser body on that flatbed. Oh, yeah, that's so right. it served really as cool. a cargo. Oh, that's right. So you could move back and forth between exactly. the two. You could unbolt the cargo box and take it off and then, you know, haul motorcycles. Yeah, that was really clever. Now, Matt, you've towed a ton of trailers too. In fact, recently you, you got some motorcycle trailers for your own bikes. Yeah, I mean, the thing I tell the most is my race trailer, but um, yeah, we've got to, honestly, we just have like a little Kendon and, you know, that's a challenge because it's so tiny. Yeah. It's so tiny, real short drawbar on it. And trailers honestly aren't my, they're not really my forte, but I'll be here for the 
comic relief. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate that. You're here for the opinion. I like that. I like that. And there, there are lots of opinions to have around trailers. And I mean, we talk about this in the podcast a lot, but the most important thing is, um, we're not suggesting that anyone buy anything because the most important thing that they should be doing is traveling. If you have extra money, uh, beyond your travel goals, then absolutely consider things like heavy modifications or campers or trailers uh, because they can really improve the quality of our experience or make us more comfortable or allow us to bring more equipment or maybe we can bring our whole family plus the gear that we need. So there are things like trailers that are really beneficial. Um, so let's move on from motorcycle trailers uh, to the typical overland trailer that we see, which is going to be a high clearance cargo box sometimes with a roof tent attached. There's been some hybrids that have come out that maybe have some integrated rooms and things like that. What have you seen, Mario, in that space? Because you guys were really the first ones to, to, to make trailers broadly available with your Chaser and with your Horizon trailer. What have you really, because you've seen a lot of change in the last 20 years. Oh my gosh, yes. So what have you really seen that's, that you like what's happening in that cargo space, trailer space and what you think maybe some people are missing? Well, that's a good question. There are a lot of cargo trailers out there that are kind of the hybridized like what we used to do where we put a rooftop tent on it and then yeah. that basically served as a canvas for the the user to build out the rest the way that they saw fit. So they gave them, you know, now in the market space there's a plethora of rooftop tents that could be added onto a trailer. Yeah. Um, bolting on this piece of equipment or that piece of equipment. It might be propane holders or gas cans or things like that that would be to support the vehicle and the rest of the trip. But now we're starting to see like kind of somewhere in between the teardrop. Yeah, they're kind of trying to build like these live-in trailers that are more of a cargo style. Where they have canvas walls. Yeah, I get a little conflicted with those. I mean, not to talk about your stuff, but the thing that I really liked about the Chaser is that it was simple. You know, it was, it was simple. simple. It was and light, it, lightweight. It was lightweight. It, it had a lot of volume for storage inside, and it kind of allowed <laughs> you really to go absolutely anywhere that you wanted. Where some of these new, when I was running the magazine in Australia, we, you know, we we tested a lot of these things, and boy, they'd take like hours to set up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They and, can, yeah, they can. Well, the thing, what we were doing was basically we were creating a small format trailer for technical terrain. You know, we're talking about towing over the Rubicon, which is where we did our first proving and all of that. But now what we're seeing is the hybridized, RVized, if if you will, yeah. uh, more amenities, um, all the way up to like air conditioning and you yeah. name it yeah. that, that's showing up. And that ends up reducing the technical terrain capabilities of those things. Yeah, despite how the marketing may indicate otherwise at times. So it's really <laughs> yeah. important to know, and we're going to talk about limitations with trailers as we move through these different types. But the cargo trailers, in my mind, they came about because the majority of four-wheel drive vehicles in the 90s, even late 80s, early 2000s, they short, were small. Short wheelbase, narrow, narrow wheel track. That's yep. correct. So they were, you know, CJs, YJs, TJs. And if you had a family of four. 90 series. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, there's all of these, you know, an FJ40 or take your pick. These were all smaller vehicles. So if you had a family of four 
in a Wrangler, which was maybe your daily driver, and you wanted to go camping for a long weekend, you really did have yeah. to consider. Yeah, there, there was no Wrangler. No, the no. You had about enough room to hold a PBJ between your knees. And that's that's right. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that that's what really prompted. And even the forerunners of those days were small. These were smaller vehicles. Mm-hmm. And if you had a family of three, four, five, and you wanted to take them camping, that's when those trailers really came about is because you needed the space. Uh, now, of course, vehicles nowadays are way more capable than they've ever been, and they're also a lot bigger yes. than they've been. So where, where I get concerned around the cargo-style trailer is when you see the solo traveler or the, the person maybe with a partner, um, and they're in... They're in a 200 series Land Cruiser towing one. I'm like, put all that stuff on the car. Like, put the rooftop on rooftop tent on top of the Land Cruiser, and uh, you can fit a drawer system and a kitchen and all of that and not have to spend an extra yeah. 30, yeah. 40, 50 grand on a trailer. Exactly, and reevaluate your gear. Do you yeah. really need all that stuff? I, I also think sometimes, though, people, when they're traveling, get this vision in their head that they're going to do a lot more technical terrain than they really end up doing. You know, if you're mm-hmm. driving to Ushuaia, you're driving across Africa, the reality is, is you have to, you have to balance these kind of risks and rewards. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I do tend to agree with you. I think for recreational use, these cargo style trailers, like I'll, I'll use like the Patriot, for example, um, you know, they're, they're really great if you're trying to get somewhere really remote that's, you know, moderately technical and you want to have a base camp, mm-hmm. right? You want it to survive the route. Yeah, I mean, there's and just, they will, they're well built. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's just there are places that you cannot take a heavy, hard sided camper trailer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's where these things, I think, are really good. Yeah, I agree. When when we were a few years ago, 2018, we crossed Australia with some Australian made hard sided trailers. And their, their belief was that we could take it anywhere that the Land Cruisers would go. And I will say that the trailers did make it to the other side, uh, but I would be surprised if they were worth 20% of what they, what they started off yeah, as. Yeah, it ain't because, pretty. <laughs> no, it's just they're tall, and, and they really do get abused. And I think if you – it's like Russian roulette. If you have a big camper like an Earth Roamer or if you have a, a big trailer like that, if you run into a – small obstacle here and there and it's not a part of your regular travel or you run into a little bit of brush here and there usually they can survive a couple of those kinds of situations but if you're running day in and day out on technical terrain in very tight conditions these bigger units are just going to fall apart you can make a cabinet really strong for the inside you can make a drawer really strong Mm. but you're still dealing with the things inside that can break yeah you know um when you're when you're moving to that kind of hard-sided trailer which again is you know similar to like an expedition vehicle that I have experience with, you can only go as fast and as and as far as like your plates and your your mugs and your cups and your and eggs and, and your <laughs> eggs and everything yeah. can go. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. You don't want the the toilet blowing up on you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're also you're transporting a lot of air. Yeah. Right? You've created a really large space to move air. Yeah. As opposed to the small cargo trailer, which was designed to be packed dense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they really are. And I, I think back the, the one time that I, that I employed a, a cargo trailer for a big trip. It was actually my very first big trip. And I came to Mario and we had a conversation about going to the Arctic Ocean in 2007 using the ice roads. And there was going to be three big guys in the vehicle, tons of camera gear, 
very cold environment, so lots and lots of clothing jackets. Um, you know, we really needed the space, and it allowed us to put a roof tent on top of the of the Tacoma and another roof tent on top of the of the of the of the trailer. And it really was a benefit. And the things that I liked about it, for example, in a Tacoma, you're very limited on payload. And at that point in time, the Tacomas were actually a little bit better. I think mine maybe had 1,500 pounds of payload. But you put three full-size guys, you're already chewing up six, 700 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then you add some gear, and then you add some tongue weight from the trailer, and you're easily at payload for the truck. So that allowed us to carry the additional equipment, the fuel and the water and the emergency supplies because we were dealing with minus 50 plus temperatures. Yeah. So yeah. so that was a really that was a really useful situation around those cargo trailers and I think that they're worth considering. I just I just believe it's important because you can spend 30, 40, 50 grand on one of these things. Make sure that yeah, you. It is a little crazy how expensive they've some, gotten. Some of very, they've gotten, gotten very expensive, and that was another thing that was amazing about the Chaser. I don't know with inflation how much they would cost today. I think we started off at I think about seven thousand dollars for a Chaser. I remember and that. It was pretty well built. You I can mean, buy like sixteen, seventy thousand dollar cargo trailers with glorified roof tents on them. That's right. <clears throat> oh yeah. So that's that's shocking. But they have diamond plate. Oh. <laughs> it's pretty shocking how expensive <laughs> how expensive that has gotten. So for me. I always ask, can you integrate those systems into the vehicle? If you've got one or two people, normally that's a yes, that you mm-hmm. can integrate yeah. it into the vehicle. And then, well, like you you did with your Comanche or you've done with so many of the Tacomas that you've built, where you guys integrate one of your habitats on the top, mm-hmm. all of the systems go into the vehicle, it's all light enough, it all works, and then you're not trying to back something up. I remember the first time I was charged by an elephant in Africa, I realized, you know, I just really don't want to tow a trailer that much, especially not in Africa. Right. Think, or, things you only hear Scott Brady say. Well, or even think about a long shelf road and you come across a washout and now mm-hmm. you're backing up for a half a mile. Yeah. yeah exactly. the, Those the, are considerations. The first time I towed a trailer, I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not mincing my words, like the first time I towed a trailer was on Fraser Island. Hmm. And it was one, of, I think it was like an Ultimate series or something they called it. Kind of like a boat looking thing that popped open. It was, it was fun, but I had to back it onto a ferry, onto a beach, and I had never backed a trailer before. Right. I'm still terrified of that. <laughs> it's tough. It's, it's still, well, it still you know, If you want to take a tough trail and make it tougher, tow a trailer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That, that, that'll, you know, that, that I, separates I think, the men from the I boys. think like the, the ideal use case that maybe we haven't kind of covered for these cargo trailers are, are like the weekend warriors. Mm. You know. Yeah, you've um, mentioned if, this if in the you past. Have, if you have you know, one vehicle and you're commuting to work and you don't want to have a roof tent on it and you don't want to, you know, you're putting a bunch of miles on it. And mm-hmm. let's not forget, every, when you when you put all of these uh, battery systems, water systems, fridge, build out, all, all of these things, and you're more likely to wear the vehicle out, you know, if you have them on a trailer, mm-hmm. you can swap that vehicle out you know, as mileage goes or, or whatever, and kind of, I'm going to say, preserve the asset that is the camping stuff. And I think that that's a really good use case in America for these things, mm-hmm. because you're really not that limited. You know, I think of somebody who, say, lives in Phoenix that commutes to work, that wants to head up to Flagstaff, go through the mountains, wants to, you know, maybe they're not doing the Rubicon regularly, but mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, they're going to yeah. encounter mud, rocks, whatever. I think cargo this cargo-style trailer is really ideal 
for something like that. That was our original premise when we designed the, our trailers, was that they would be these uh, equipment vessels for tour operators so that they could swap out the vehicle for maintenance, but the trailer would take less maintenance than uh, the vehicle. Sure. And so they would always have uptime with the equipment because it could be swapped from one vehicle to another. Yeah, yours was always a backpack with wheels. Like it had all of the systems integrated and you could even leave it and yep. go drive a more challenging trail, mm -hmm. come back to your camp yeah. and your trailer hopefully is still there. Yeah. But like like <clears throat> like Matt said, you know, if if you don't if you don't have the luxury of having a dedicated built vehicle and you know, you, you only have one vehicle and it's your daily driver, you gotta commute to work and all of that, the trailer can start to make a lot of sense where you can just leave it set up with all of your gear, hook it up and go when you're ready to go. Especially with how capable vehicles have become and how like payload restricted they've become too. Mm -hmm. So like you could go buy a new AEV GMC, you know, call it a Canyon or whatever, 1500, mm -hmm. where you're limited on payload, but you've got this, you don't, you don't even have to modify the car. Mm -hmm. It's ready to go. They can come with a winch, everything you need. And you can lease it even <laughs> right? and then right. hook, hook that trailer up. And then you've got your ultimate overland rig. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Matt, you just swap out the car after the lease is over and you get the yep. new, the new color way or whatever. Go big with the new HD and build it out. Yeah. yeah the new yeah. HD is amazing. It's beautiful. It's, it's yeah. really an incredible vehicle. Yeah. Did a nice job on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Dave will be here in a little bit, I about know. an hour or so. I know, he's flying in. <laughs> so uh, the next style of trailer uh, that we see is a teardrop style. Mm -hmm. And they they definitely had a heyday probably about 10, ten years ago, ago, I would yeah. say so. Um, and you still see a lot of them. But again, they've become very uh, expensive. When you, when you saw the original teardrops, they were very simple. Sometimes they'd have a little leaf spring suspension beam axle. Right. And they're so cool retro, right? Yeah. They kind of bring in that whole teardrop trailer, yep. you know, moon style hubcap thing into, yes. the, into the off-road world. I thought it was really cool. And I, we dabbled I in that for a little bit. I agree. I and I, those ones. Yeah, who, who made those? So the bodies were made by SoCal Teardrops. That's right. Are they yeah. still in business? I believe so. Oh, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. hopefully. I mean, they did a nice job. And they sure did. I really liked the fact... In, in a teardrop is you you're you're it's kind of like me sleeping I'd like to sleep inside my SUVs so it's kind of like sleeping inside the car yeah right doesn't matter the weather sometimes it, you get a little the heater small, the, the thing that I appreciate about those is they're basically the smallest form factor that doesn't necessarily limit where you can take it you don't have to have a big vehicle like let's mm -hmm. say you know I mean heck back then it was the the Jeep TJ and the Defender 90 they weren't that fast they weren't you know, they were affected by, if you put a big box on the back, you'd feel it. Where with these teardrops, I mean, they were literally a teardrop. They were very aerodynamic and you had a, you know, dry, generally heated place to camp at night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, but you were still living outside too. And I think that that's yeah. like an important thing is that you could sleep inside, but you were still actually experiencing the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, and that, cooking outside. Yeah, and that whole retro feel with the curve on the inside—it was very, uh, very welcoming. Yeah, right? I thought so. And a lot of them had wood, mm -hmm. so they felt really comfortable. And they've gotten bigger. We've seen the teardrops also getting larger. And, and you have the square drops. Yeah, exactly. They do get to a point though where 
you kind of wonder why you wouldn't just go square. Like a really large teardrop doesn't necessarily make sense to me. Like there's almost a size limitation in my opinion yes. to where they actually make sense. When yeah. you're towing a 15 foot long teardrop, why are you towing a 15 foot long, you know, yeah. like a 15 foot body on a trailer? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But. but I think that they're, I think that they're worth considering, especially if you live in like the Pacific Northwest or you're in an area with a lot wide, wide range of weather and you want to camp year round, mm-hmm. they can be really clever for that. And the, there is no setup. You, you park and you get out and maybe you level the trailer. Maybe you don't, you just hop in. And next thing you know, you're, you're on the Starlink watching Netflix with your partner and yeah. you know, it's life's life's easy. So, um, I think that that's a pretty clever setup. I've always liked the teardrops. There's some new companies on the market, like the Escapod, who's doing this, it's kind of, that's a molded composite teardrop. So it's very attractive. Um, but again, they're getting very expensive too. They're getting over $50,000 for a teardrop. You know, they are really comfortable. You got a heater in there. and It's just crazy because you can buy like a 40 foot long fifth wheel for that. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the difference. And is, it'll make one trip. <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference is like that. And you're right. Mario, and I think that that's really important. Be very careful going and buying something that looks like an overland trailer, but it's really a lifted standard yeah, RV travel trailer. A, there's such a difference, I think, in quality between these these overland specific trailers and the general RV industry. Oh, absolutely, take it from me as a manufacturer. Quality costs money. Yeah, that's the only way you're going to do it. Yeah, and it's going to hold together. I mean, just you know, <laughs> there's plenty of places I've showed up. You know, in even five miles of corrugations, and you'll, and these people will be talking about their cabinets falling off the walls and mm-hmm. everything else like that. I mean, they they it can be very very difficult on them. So buying something that's really made to go overland for long periods of time and yeah. hold together. There's a expensive. lot of these, the imposters. Teardrop, yeah, the kind of off road looking mm-hmm. teardrop yeah. trailers that you see on so many RV dealer lots now, and yeah. I'm gonna kinda group them all together as like the, the, what is it, Elkhart, Indiana, that manufactures most of this stuff. Pretty much. Um, you know, you really do have to do your research. Yep. And and also, I think you just have to have a gut feeling. I mean, people know when something's made well and when something isn't made well. Yeah, yeah if it's giant and it's got two bathrooms and it's got a washing machine and it weighs 3,600 pounds, Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just not going to hold together. The frame's going to break. Something's going to break. No, an axle flip and a larger tire and some diamond plate doesn't cut it. Yeah. And we see that a lot. So you have to really be looking for that um, and talking to people who own them. Find owners of those units. See what success that they've had. Uh, Just because something's rebranded for overlanding doesn't mean that it's appropriate for it. Find the the users group. Follow what people are saying. And most of the... uh, threads are about repairs mm. yeah yeah okay yeah whereas like you, you can even though like a, something like a patriot can get expensive you don't hear about them falling apart so no, no absolutely not they're very very well made so i think looking for that kind of stuff and to mario your point is that if you want a high quality unit that's going to hold up there's a reason why a land cruiser is expensive there's mm-hmm. a reason why a trailer like that is expensive yeah. is because it takes a lot and a special thanks to Kuat Racks for their support of this week's podcast. Their new Ibex has landed. It's actually overlanded. This groundbreaking bed rack is effortlessly handling substantial loads both on and off the grid. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, it boasts a ballistic black 
powder coat made for all the nature you can throw at it. It's available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, and it's equipped with telescoping crossbars. Numerous T-channels and a versatile full and half height configuration right out of the box. This is the Ibex from Kuat. It is engineered for adventure. For more details, please visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bed rack. Teardrop is definitely a category that we've seen grow. Um, it was very popular, and, and now it's there's fewer in the market, uh, but they, they still are worth considering if you're trying to do four-season camping in as small of a trailer footprint as possible. I think it's worth considering. And then now we come to where we're seeing a lot of the current growth and a lot of the current interest, which is in the travel trailers that are built for um, surviving at least some off-road use. Mm -hmm. And what are you seeing? What are your thoughts around that, Mario? I mean, this is like you're seeing the Brooders and you're seeing the X Explorer trailers, mm -hmm. and these are very premium trailers, but they're big. They're they're big, yeah. And well, from my perspective, the way that I like to travel, I'm going to encounter technical terrain. Yeah. And so, the sheer size of them uh, makes them problematic and for my own yeah. purposes, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're blasting desert beaches, stuff like that, where you don't have to worry about that, I, I think that's fine. Yeah. But I do worry, even though, you know, they are made from composite materials and they're the lightest, you know, possible designs, um, it's still taxing for something like a 200. Yeah. You know? And they're typically, they're wider than, you know, the like the Australian vehicles or the European vehicles. They're going to be wider than that. So track width doesn't match. Yeah. Um, so I, then you have more rolling resistance, more especially rolling in resistance, sand and mud. Particularly in those situations. Yeah. Pretty easy to get a trailer bog found. Yeah. Um, so I see that as problematic. Those are the types of trailers that I think would be better suited to be towed by a full size where the track width is closer and you've got bigger tires and a ton more traction to the ground with the tow vehicle. And a lot more power. A lot more torque. I noticed that when I was towing one of the large uh, travel trailers uh, behind a, a GMC 1500 and it was an, it was an AT4X, so locked front and rear. Mm -hmm. And we'd been camping for a couple of days and it's raining and raining and raining and raining. Oh, yeah. And it, and I'm like, we're not going to continue on. We got to get out of here. Yeah. And the terrain was, it got really greasy. And I was, I was shocked how difficult it was to get that trailer out of there with a very capable platform. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it was just pull, pulling the back of that full size truck around in the mud because yeah. there was so much resistance. So it's definitely, it's important to note that um, they look very capable and I think in the right conditions, they are perfect for a lot of families. But if you're gonna go into technical terrain or you're gonna get really remote, or maybe you don't have a lot of ex experience towing, you probably wanna get some training before you do that. Yeah, probably a good idea, yeah. There's also a lot of these trailers that are, you know, we, we touched on before that are very much these Foverland trailers. They're coming out of traditional RV manufacturing techniques. Mm -hmm. They do a spring over on, on the axle, so they ride a little bit higher. They throw some diamond plate on the front. They'll put some kind of awning on it that looks a little bit more, you know, off-roady. Don't, don't forget the cool topographics. Yeah, 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 right, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, so, so there's those, but, you know, generally those things are cheap, and, you know, they're probably just for people that are looking to get a, a you know, a mile or two down the forest service road and, and, 
you know, for that use case, they're probably fine. The things that are really interesting to me, because I saw the advent of these when I was working in Australia, are all of the Chinese-made camper trailers. Mm. Now, you know, I don't want to just like bag on China. Uh, you know, our the iPhone comes from China. There's good, there's good manufacturing there, and I'm sure that there are examples of companies that uh, are doing, you know, decent manufacturing. But most of them, um, I mean, you can just go on Alibaba and buy. So you're mm-hmm. seeing these companies come in. They're buying, you know, trailers that were sold 15 years ago in Australia. Uh, they're still being sold, you know, like. Uh, I think, well, we'll just not name names, but if it looks too good to be true, it is, it is mm-hmm. have a look on Alibaba and, and you can kind of start to see, um, I don't know, it, it, they're, they're fascinating. Yeah. You can't, you can't sell something for half as much as a high quality unit and chalk it all up just to the labor cost. They're yeah. doing other cost cutting because they still got to ship it yep. all the way from China too. So you really, you got to make sure that whatever unit you're looking at, like Mario said, typically these mass produced units, there'll be some group on Facebook. There'll be a, there'll be threads on expedition portal, go on there and see how people are doing with those units before you invest mm-hmm. 50, 60 grand of your kids exactly. college fund into it. Exactly. And if you have the opportunity you know, like for us here in Prescott, if you want to see something, go see the manufacturer if you can. Yeah. Ask them for a plant tour. Yeah. Good idea. All right. You're going to learn a lot. Yeah, good if idea. They're, if they're proud enough to walk you around their facility, that's a good sign. Yeah, and I like that's where I don't know if you ever had a chance to go through Bruder, but like Bruder in Australia, you can see like every one of them is built kind of like an expedition boat. Um, there are some things about the layout that I don't care for, but the quality is certainly there and the price point reflects that. Um, the other one that I've seen come into more prominence recently is the, like the Explorer trailer, which I've been using. Um, they make a 14 and a half foot box unit that is my current favorite of the, of the travel trailer style because it has a double bed. It has a dry bath, uh, that, you know, you got a full size shower and you got a, toilet and you got a kitchen and you got heater and you got a thousand and eighty amp hours of lithium um and a a thousand watts of solar um so these things are expensive one hundred and twenty thousand dollars is what that that battery system costs more to make than a lot of these alibaba trailers i think you're right yeah i looked up those batteries and it was eighteen thousand dollars in batteries yeah yeah. So, and you're right. That's probably how much some of those other trailers, just the trailer costs. Yeah, that's what quality costs. Yeah. So we're seeing better quality units available. Are there any others, Mario, that you're seeing? You're like, I kind of like what they're doing. Is there on any of those class of trailers that you, th- you think you kind of like what's happening? Um, and if the answer is no, that's okay too. <laughs> so there's a couple of brands that, that I've always found interesting because they're innovative. Like, yeah. like Bruder is innovative. Yeah. They're not copying something that they saw and putting a spin on it. Yeah. Uh, Bruder has done their own thing. Their suspension is brilliant, right? That's, yeah. that's all cool stuff. Um, one of the brands in Australia is called uh, the Ultimate. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think they cut their teeth maybe in the marine industry. Yeah, I've used those trailers before. Very boat-like with sort of like a a transom entrance. And I thought that stuff's very interesting. And uh, Yeah, I think one of their tech lines was that it could float. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. That's awesome, right? (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, and another brand, which I th- I'm not sure, but uh, Trax, right? Oh, so yeah. Trax was kind of like this geometric pod shape, sort of reminiscent of a teardrop, but not, but with a drop transom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ARB is doing something either with tracks or I don't oh, yeah, know if they, they bought the IP or now. something like that. It's very cool how it opens up like that. It opens up. So what I like about it is the form factor being able to do technical terrain because it's dense when it's, when it's shut down. Right? Oh, that You're makes not sense. transporting a lot of air. Yeah. The downside is you do have a lot of setup. You know, when you get to wherever you're going, you've got to drop that platform yeah. and set up the tent and mm-hmm. all the canvas that goes with it. But those are innovative designs. Yeah. Right? I do think that ARB one is very interesting. And the fact that you can have minimal setup where you literally just drop the back mm-hmm. and it you know, opens up that canvas and you open up a couple rods and you're you're camping. done. You're yeah. done. Yeah. You're so done. maybe less than a minute yeah. is what the it looks form, like. The form factor is what, what uh, speaks to me in those. Yeah, and that's important for those that are listening to hear is, you know, I, I have started because I would typically want to sleep inside my vehicle or when I'm traveling internationally, I would not want to tow a trailer. But when I'm in North, North America, I find myself, I want to work in the vehicle. I want to spend weeks maybe traveling or months mm-hmm. traveling. So I have found myself wanting it to have a heater, a place to sit and work um, if it's got a shower and a bathroom. It usually ends up, it ends up being like, if I'm going to tow something, it better have hot water shower, (laughs) I guess is my view, my view, just being totally honest. If I'm, if I'm towing something, it's got a, it it has to at least have the door, you know, I, I I don't, I don't really want to have to set things up personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think, I think one thing that I'd like to bring up is, you know, before we went to the expedition vehicle thing, we were looking at trailers um, and when we even then progressed into the exhibition vehicle thing, we learned that the layout of the trailer becomes such a personal thing. And that's, that's why so true. You, that's why you see, <clears throat> let's just hop back over to the RV space. That's why you see so many trailers, like how many different, you know, 24 foot travel trailers are there on the market? Squillions. The, yeah. Squillions, right? Yeah. But I'm not going to say that they all sell, but the reason why Squillions exist is, oh, somebody, one one person wants 12 bunk beds and there's a company that specializes in that. <laughs> one person really just wants a place to hang out in a bathroom and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a bed will fall, fold down and they don't really care about the bed. Really, really consider and look at as many trailers as you can um, to figure out what that form factor is and, and make sure that you actually spend some time in it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're likely not going to be able to sleep overnight in them, but spend 20 or 30 minutes just sitting in it yeah. because you might find that the, the, the dinette is too close to the kitchen and where you're sitting, somebody's bumping into you. You might find that you don't want a dinette. For example, we didn't want a dinette. Um, you know, we're larger people and oftentimes these dinettes are, you know, pretty small not useful you you just that that is the thing that i cannot stress enough is you have to find the layout that works for you well to your point matt that that's really really important and we have the advantage here in north america where there are several rental services like online services where you can actually go out and rent oh that's a smart idea idea. you know it's like buying a car rent it first for you know and and get a feel for it yeah the same thing with a trailer you can probably rent one of those online and take it out for a weekend and really get a sense ergonomically does it fit you and your spouse and your dog and oh, your that's kid. a great idea 
get a feel for it first before you make that commitment. Yeah, no, that's really smart because some of these things are they're very expensive. Some of them are easily six figures, so yeah, spend some time in it. Exactly. That's why can. we used to rent out our camper <clears throat> so that our customers could try the camper first before. Yeah, that that's before even making that commitment. That's even where like the RV shows are are super interesting to go to. Um, typically, at those events you're not going to get the quality of trailer that we're really talking about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the the quality of the wood doesn't matter when you're really just trying to figure out what layout you want. Mm -hmm. Do you want the bedroom in the front? Do you want the bedroom in the back? Do you want a wet bath? Do you want a dry bath? These are the things that you really have to consider. Um, Are you going to cook a lot inside? Mm -hmm. Well, then you might want a larger kitchen. Are you primarily going to cook outside? Maybe you want an outdoor kitchen. Like, there's a lot of um, just... Uh, you're creating like this little habitat in, in, inside. And I, I think part of buying a trailer like this, a larger unit, is so you can spend more time in it. And that means you're going to be in inclement weather. That means oh, when it's cold outside and you have a heater, you're naturally going to kind of go inside. Make sure it's a space that you want to be in. Yeah. And also make sure, here's, here's the other thing. The size of the doors matter. If you're tall, there are so many of these trailers that you will skin the top of your head yeah, getting into. Believe oh, me, yeah. look at my look at the top of my head. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mario too. You guys don't have any protection. I just have thinning protection. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, go to an expo. That, yeah. That's where you're going to see. Yeah. It, right? Yeah. The Overland Expo is going to have all of them. Yeah. yeah. And and also a good chance that you'll have a weather event and get to experience <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. I think that I think that the tra- the trailer and camper companies always love when weather comes in because they sell a whole lot more Absolutely. units because people are like oh uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i want to be able to escape inside <laughs> uh so those are those are pretty much the trailers that we view or the types of trailers that we view as being feasible for overlanding certainly there are things like fifth wheels and everything else like that but they tend to not be appropriate for anything beyond just a regular gravel road and they certainly aren't going to be appropriate for international travel i mean you do see some people people take fifth like when you go out in Arizona you see some fifth wheels in some places and you're like how did what did why what we got a different level of crazy <laughs> we do, we do. yeah we absolutely do uh, so now let's uh, shift a little bit Mario towards uh, design criteria things for people to look for and one of the most important ones and you really help define this in the space is long travel independent suspension so let's talk about suspension and the different types of suspension that is available on the market uh, from kind of worst to best of course worst being those torsion style suspensions talk a little bit about why that's a bad idea well if we're talking about a conventional torsion axle which basically has uh, four rubber inserts inside of a square tube exactly they shrink it on you know, with nitrogen, and then they slide the the uh, the arm in. Uh, the challenge with those, it it first of all, it's preload, right? It, it's set for a certain weight, uh, so there's no adjustability for your cargo changing. And then uh, there's actually a vulnerable spot on those where uh, dirt and dust can migrate into the uh, the cavity where the rubber inserts are. And what ends up happening. Washboard road, as we know, will find the weakness in your vehicle or your trailer and destroy it, right? Yeah. So what ends up happening is that grit gets in there and then it starts to wear away 
at the rubber inserts and eventually grinds the rubber off and then the whole uh, system will fail and it'll rotate 90 degrees sure. and drop your suspension and worst case the whole axle hub assembly will come out. Have you seen it come out? Yes. Oh, wow. I, I didn't know that. I thought that that was somewhat captive, but no, it that's is not. insane. The only thing holding it in there is those rubber inserts. Well, and then you have other considerations around it. So they have very minimal tra travel. So people will be driving, let's call it a, a 200 series, which is very comfortable, 8 to 10 inches of suspension travel. Yep. They're zipping down the road. They've aired the tires down in their 200, and they're flying down the corrugations with eight to 10 inches of wheel travel. Mm -hmm. And one of those torsion style axles has a couple inches under full load. So yeah. they just, everything inside that trailer, your eggs are going to become scrambled with the shells included mm -hmm. um, and everything else. It was, that's what we learned early on with the trailers is just how destructive limited wheel travel can be exactly exactly and then to your contents right and then another thing is a lot of times people forget to air down their trailers yeah right so and go way lower than you think exactly and and mario since we're talking about that what are some techniques that you would recommend people do to know because i i have mine that i've used but i really like to know yours when you want to set the trailer pressure for the road and when you want to set it for off-road how do you normally recommend people go about doing that well for the road i'm talking pavement um go as high as is practical because then that'll give you the least amount of rolling resistance right so yeah. you're, you'll you'll have improved mileage but when you hit the dirt the first thing you have to remember if you have like electric brakes you have to reduce the gain on those brakes because you don't want your uh, trailer tires locking up which they will the difference between pavement traction and dirt traction is mm. huge yeah and i see people make that mistake a lot um a general rule of thumb that i'll use for airing down tires i, I never say it's a set psi because it depends on how you know the tire how heavy you are etc so what i tell people is if you were to look at your tire at street pressure Let's use a round number. Let's say there's 10 inches of rubber between the rim, the bottom of the rim, and the bottom of your tire on the ground. Deflate until you see a 25% decrease in that overall height. That's Smart. generally safe in that area in terms of your sidewall, but it'll increase your traction patch significantly, give you better braking, better flotation over you know soft stuff. So that's just and it a, also becomes a part of the suspension. It starts to dampen some it, of those impacts. Precisely. Particularly if you have, God forbid, a torsion axle or yeah. some other elastomer uh, axle system. Um, but that's my general rule of thumb. It's regardless of your weight. Yeah, sure. It's shape. Yeah, Because sure. that's what we're looking for is shape. Yeah, sure. Yeah, not necessarily a PSI. And it, it may vary. It, your PSI might be different on your right tire than your left tire based on how that trailer is loaded. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really uh, effective way to determine pressure. And another way to do it is based upon rim diameter. If you want a real, if you want just a place to start from, if you've got a 16-inch wheel, go down to 16 PSI. If you have a 17-inch wheel, go down to 17 PSI. Um, that's a good place to start from. And then that would maybe get you closer to what Mario's talking about of that 25% reduction in the carcass height uh, when you're looking at the side sidewall of the tire. So between those two, you can use that as a foundational starting point for airing down. But airing down the trailer is really important because of what Mario's talking about. Rolling resistance on the road, you want it to be a higher pressure 
because we want to get better fuel economy because there's a big fuel economy hit with a trailer. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then when you're on the trail, you want to make sure you're taking care of flotation, improving your braking effectiveness, um, and then also reducing the amount of impact to the contents. Because even if you've got a long travel suspension system on the trailer, the same reason that you benefit from airing down in a long travel car, mm -hmm. you benefit in airing down in a long travel trailer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's great start, uh, Mario. So next type of suspension uh, that we'll typically see is going to be your uh, beam axle leaf sprung. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very common form of suspension. It's much better than the torsion in many ways. Um, yeah. You have some reduced ground clearance. Uh, because of the beam that goes across the entire length uh, or width of the of the trailer. True. Some some axles do have uh, bent beams oh. to give provide a little bit more clearance. In the oh, that's middle. cool. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Well, that's that's good to know. And a lot of times they'll be supported by leaf springs, and they may or may not have dampers. So, how would you say? What would you say in your experience is kind of the best way to configure a leaf sprung beam style axle? For, for a leaf sprung axle system, we would want to see spring over axle, and we would want to see the springs as long as they can possibly be. And as flat as possible. And as flat as possible. Then yeah. you're going to get the most travel, you're going to get the most compliance to the terrain. Um, the challenge with beam axles, though, is whatever happens on the left wheel gets transmitted across the beam to the other, the other side, right? So you're going to see this bouncing around mm -hmm. regardless. And ultimately, you want to see shock absorbers on it. I agree. And that's what's usually missing. Yeah. You is need dampers. to control that rebound. When a trailer manufacturer takes an off-the-shelf cargo suspension spring system and puts it on an off-road trailer, they're doing you a disservice. Because those springs are really short. Because they're designed for high load capacity, not for compliance. And for road. And for road, right? Yep. Smooth pavement. They're not designed for corrugations, you know, potholes and all of that. Yeah. So that's that's, that's good. That's good advice. Good advice there. And then we have a new kind of suspension that we've seen in recent years. It's been extremely popular mm -hmm. because of its durability and it's kind of a mid travel and that's going to be the Timbrin suspension. So it has limited travel. Yes. It has no no damper other than the the um, durometer of the rubber helps to control some of the rebound and some of the True. compression. Um, the, the advantage that people are finding with it is it's independent and it's got a little bit more travel than you would find in, in a typical torsion style. It has more travel and has uh, more ground clearance yeah. because you don't have a beam going across. So it's similar ground clearance to, uh, say, a torsion axle, yeah. which is typically a 45 degree down, right? Yeah. And that's what the Timberin does. The other advantage the Timberin has is that it does have a longer arm mm. versus a torsion axle. Torsion yeah. axle typically, I don't know, maybe 10 inches. And then on a Timberin, I haven't looked at the Timberin lately, but you probably double that. Yeah, so the longer the arm, the more effective travel you have, even if there's less in the joint itself. Exactly, exactly. And what have you found um, are any downsides to that suspension in your experience? Uh, it's going to be preload. It's going to come down to preload. If if the manufacturer didn't uh, work with Timberin effectively to define the, the elastomer durometers of the top side and bottom side, they may have missed the mark and, and not really tuned the suspension to the trailer. That makes sense. Yeah. That's the same, the same challenge that you have with whether it's a torsion axle, a Timberin, or a leaf sprung, 
is, is there enough variability for in the suspension for the load? Yeah. And that's why we went to air suspension because yeah, we could adjust really cool that. Yeah, that was really cool when you did that. Right. You always adjusted for wheel travel. You set wheel travel. Yeah, and you can also then level the trailer if you have a if you have a tent on it. Mm-hmm. You can level it in camp. I always yeah. liked that. Yeah. And you can have some ad- adjustment for ground clearance. You can actually if you're if you're in really technical terrain, you can lift the trailer up a little bit to give it some more clearance. Yeah. If if your load is is static, right? Doesn't change at all. And you've chosen one of these non-adjustable suspensions, then you have an opportunity to tune it just right. Yeah. Like there are some trailing arm suspensions out there that are coil sprung, mm-hmm. right? And coil sprung, limit straps, bump stops, you know, shock absorbers. But it's, if they're tuning it well to the exact load, then it's okay. Yeah. But I think I think there's just too much variability in the cargo. Yeah, because you carry... You know, when, when the trailer is empty and then you put 100 gallons of water in some of these larger trailers. You take 100 gallons of water with you? I have 117 gallons. I take like 30-minute showers if I want to. <laughs> You're such a diva. After drinking my rosé. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. No judgment. I am sorry. a diva. I'm sorry. I have found, though, that uh, those kinds of, of suspensions, they can be very durable. Uh, they can be much less expensive. But then you start to get into these... Um, much more reminiscent of vehicle style, longer travel, trailing arm, independent, coil sprung or air sprung. Um, there are some real advantages to air suspension on trailers, yeah. and that's mostly around leveling. So it's just so convenient to be able to level your trailer and camp with the air suspension. I pick wheel travel, being consistent. We yeah. travel over leveling. Leveling is a nice amenity. Yeah, maybe it's like the gadget factor. It's the gadget, yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely the inspector gadget factor. <laughs> but being able to have a consistent compression and extension from where your sweet spot is. Yeah. Like in our suspensions, we allowed for 60% comp- compression, 40% extension. And that was our sweet spot. And so when we told you to adjust, that's what you were adjusting to so that you maintained that wheel travel regardless yeah. of how you were loaded. You could be empty or full. If I remember, you were even really clever in that inside your wheel well, you had a, a either a sticker or something that showed you your static load height, I remember. Something like that where you could... Yeah. Or at least maybe you and I did that together for we mine. Did that. We did that together. <laughs> but that was pretty clever because then no matter how much I changed the weight of the trailer, I mm-hmm. could just add a little air and it would get it right back up to that yeah. to that level mark. Yeah. We wanted you to get the air spring into a certain shape. Yeah. Because that's where its prime operating range was. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you were overpressurized or underpressurized, you went outside you know, that bell curve of premium performance. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So let's talk about the next element of good trailer design, which is going to be wheelbase of the vehicle compared to the draw bar length of the trailer. Um, The reason why this is important is if you have a long wheelbase vehicle with a very short draw bar length, which think of the draw bar length as the distance from the tow ball or from the coupler, the multi-coupler, uh, to the first axle center of the trailer. Mm-hmm. That distance, the shorter that distance is compared to the wheelbase of the tow vehicle, the more difficult it will be to back up. Um, if it is too long, 
then when you make a tight turn with the tow vehicle, let's say you have a short wheelbase Wrangler and you have a very long drawbar, then the trailer tire, tires will take a different path yep. than the tow vehicle, which could be very problematic in technical terrain. So if I remember correctly around the Chaser and the Horizon and those trailers, you guys matched it very much towards a TJ, a Wrangler, or a shorter yeah. SUV kind yeah, of we wheelbase. Were, we were trying to match the wheelbase of the tow vehicle yeah. as closely as possible. And, and so those and also track width. Those adjustable drawbars can be helpful or working with the trailer company to make sure that the drawbar is the right length. Mm -hmm. So that way when you tow it, it's not too short where it's difficult to back up. Um, or even if it's too short, it can take a different path than the tow vehicle tires as well. But you certainly don't want to be really long because then it's very difficult to navigate yeah. off-road. Another key thing uh, for design is that you need to be able to do a full 90 uh, jackknife on a trailer without having the vehicle or the trailer contact each other. Oh, that's and good. That's, that's how we designed our tongues. And then also, do you have enough clearance when you are doing a drop-off? Because you don't want the front end of that trailer coming into the back of your tow vehicle. Mm. Particularly as people like add spare tires and, mm. you know. Yeah. They bolt on max tracks and, and trash roos and, and everything else. Yeah. So sure. they end up extending the back of the vehicle beyond the, the ball mm. or the tow point on the, on the tow vehicle. And that reduces their, their departure angle. And then all of a sudden they, they go into a big drop off and all, you know, they've, they've got the trailer punching out the back window oh, of the yeah. tow vehicle. Yeah. So you have to have a long enough tongue to be able to do that 90 as well as yeah, because I guess where, where most people will triangulate the frame directly into that, you know, the, the hitch or whatever mm -hmm. we're calling it. You on the chaser trailers had that kind of extension out from that triangulation. Exactly. That we makes did. sense. Yeah, we did that on the on the yoke. And then let's talk about track width of the trailer and why that's important, Mario. If your track width of your trailer matches your tow vehicle. Your advantage is you reduce your rolling resistance, right? And in, when you are in certain types of terrain, if, if you're too wide, uh, trailer is going to come to the inside of your, of your turn, right? So while you may have just barely made it past, past a rock and then cut that turn, well, if the trailer is too wide and too long, yeah. uh, now that that same side tire is going to be right into that obstacle. Yeah. And that could be a problem if, if it means it's going, if you have to ride the trailer up over that obstacle, it may be so far that now you're potentially getting into a rollover scenario with your trailer. Yeah, that makes right. sense. Which brings me to another subject is you need to have an articulating coupler. And what are some of your, there's so many on the market now, what are some of the ones that you like and why? The Treg is good uh, out of Australia. They were one of the firsts with, uh, they have a poly block uh, at the uh, coupling point, and that poly block helps absorb um, uh, impact from the trailer moving back and forth. And they have a full 360 rotation, 180 uh, uh, vertical articulation. Any, any kind of coupler that does that. But it is important to where those pivot points are positioned because if the pivot points are not in the right sequence, and we've seen this with a couple of brands, if the pivot points aren't in the right position, oh, they, can bind. they will bind. Yeah. And when you bind, 
as we know, something's got to give. Yeah. So either something's going to bend or break. Yeah. So it's important. We, we used to use, um, that's Quamco, and we worked with Quamco originally to, to kind of get that you know, dialed in, and we used a lot of those for a long time, the Max Coupler. Yeah, and those are very reliable, simple. Very reliable, simple, small form factor. Yeah, um, lightweight. Some of them are very, are very heavy. Yeah, and, and they were um, uh, uh, SAE tested to standard, the, the J, I can't remember the test number now. Sure. But, but they were, that test uh, is breakage at three times what the rating is. So let's say if you had a 2000 pound coupler rated for 2000 pounds, it actually failed the test at, at three times that. Got it. Yeah. So that, that gives you that, uh, that cushion in that situation where you're just completely abusing your trailer coupler. Right? Sure. <laughs> and a lot of times people will have a standard ball on something that is classified as an overland trailer. Uh, they can be use, useful for very simple conditions, but once you get into technical terrain, what ends up happening is that these the ball is incredibly strong. So if the trailer starts to roll, something else is going to give. It's going to bend the frame of the trailer. It's going to bend the the whole uh, coupler component, or it's going to bend something on the vehicle. The Very worst, dangerous. The worst scenario is it pulls the vehicle over. Yeah. And the most precious cargo is parked right in your seat. Yeah. You, you want that trailer to roll. You yeah. don't want your vehicle to roll. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a mutual friend that was um, Hemi-powered JK, trailer in tow, drifting uh, around the corner. And I think the trailer did a, th- a full rotation back on the wheels, and he never let off, I don't believe. Yeah, I took a radio call to get him to stop. <laughs> it was, uh, so you want you want the trailer to roll for that exact reason. You don't exactly. want it to you don't want it to pull over the tow vehicle. Um, so it doesn't mean like absolutely don't consider a ball, but consider your application. If you're going to be using it in technical terrain, you need mm-hmm. to have uh, the ability for the trailer to to make that full uh, three sixty. But then that also brings into consideration the pintle hook. So pintles have been very popular in the military. They're very easy to attach. They do allow for quite a bit of movement, particularly mm-hmm. through ditches and everything else like that. Uh, but there are two problems. They don't allow the trailer to roll over. Actually, there are rotating pintles on the trailer side. Oh, yeah, probably available. Those, those but, do exist. Yeah. Um, the challenge, those, those are speed rated. Yeah. And they're incredibly loud. They're incredibly loud and you're really not supposed to go over 50 miles an hour with them. Oh, see, there's, that's some good information for people to know. Yeah. They're used a lot like in agriculture, right? Yeah. You know, you tow a trailer with a military trailers. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. But if you ever tow one off road, that kang, 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 kang. I mean, you you will, uh, yeah, you'll want to leave the trailer. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. You'll want to leave the trailer. So there, uh, the things have evolved. There's some great technology out there mm. so look look at the couplers you're going to want to make sure that the trailer that you have has a high quality coupler on it that does do some damping of the sound and also allows for full range of motion off-road including the trailer being able to roll over completely without pulling the tow vehicle with it since we're kind of touching on that you know potential for rollover and things like that and speed ratings yeah um i cannot stress enough that if you are towing a trailer off-road, slow down. Yeah. Because you don't have the same level of wheel travel with the trailer, all right? 
And so people who have a tendency to, you know, hot foot it through the washboard and whatnot, you may be in for a nasty surprise. Yeah. And particularly like when we talk about um, the technical terrain dropping off of ledges, well, people, if you're, if you're bringing the vehicle off the ledge and you're dropping off, you want to go half the speed that you did your vehicle with the trailer once it hits that drop off as well. Because you don't want it to bounce, particularly if you have an articulating coupler you may have been able to get the vehicle through and then you bounce the trailer and then your trailer flops over because you have that articulating coupler. Hmm. So and you've I, got to slow down. I can speak from personal experience where I screwed that up horribly. <laughs> um, this was very early in my travels. I was in Mexico. I'd gone through the altar and I was done with the trip. The trip was over. Everything had gone beautifully, incredible adventure. And uh -huh. I'm pulling on to Mex 2 with the tow vehicle, which no problem. I was in a little bit of a hurry and I pulled up onto the road, big, you know, every, every highway in Mexico has a giant drop off. Right. So I was going up the drop off. Yeah. And as soon as the little venture craft trailer that I was towing hit that edge, it rolled it up over onto its top in the middle of Mex two, oh. which is terrifying yeah. and dangerous. There's no shoulder. No shoulder. Uh, so, and we had to get winches and get it rolled back over and we got traffic stopped in Mexico. It was yeah, it was mildly terrifying, especially yeah. early in my travels. And that was precisely because I went too fast. And yeah. I forgot about, I was tired, long trip, forgot mm -hmm. about the fact that I had a trailer behind me and just yeah. one wrong move. And that thing launched itself. Also torsion style. Torsion axle. On torsion that. axle. That was a cool little trailer. Yeah, they were really neat little trailers. That was my first Overland trailer a long time ago. 20, probably 25 years ago I, I bought know. that thing. Yeah, yeah. It, was very, it was very cool. <laughs> All right, so let's let's kind of go into uh, trailer brakes as we start to kind of wrap this up a little bit. But mm -hmm. um, trailer brakes are really important, and there's a bunch of different kinds. So Mario, let's talk about the different kinds of trailer brakes and which ones you prefer. And let's talk about some techniques that people can employ with their trailers with electric brakes. Sure. So you have uh, surge brakes, which are typically hydraulic or lever operated. Um, and then you have electric brakes, which are uh, controlled in the vehicle by some, some type of an inertia sensor. Uh, and then you also have hydraulic brakes, which are typically controlled by a inertia sensor as well. So you have those three styles that we are most familiar with. Um, surge brakes, we don't like them in, on off-road trailers um, because they take control away from you. They, they operate by themselves, and you have no way to provide input into those other than to completely override them so they don't work. Yeah. The uh, hydraulic units we wouldn't recommend on an off-road trailer. It's unnecessary complexity and also... More expensive, too, aren't they? More expensive, and uh, there's just certain things that you don't want to have that involved in. Like if you are so far cambered that you, you, your reservoir is gone... Oh, PS, sure. the, past the, the fill tube and things like that. Sure, that So makes we don't sense. recommend that. Um, we do like the kind of old school shoe brake electric mag electromagnetic style uh, because those are easy to control and adjust from inside the, the vehicle. They're relatively low cost, easy to maintain. Parts are ubiquitous around the planet. Uh, and it allows you to do things on the trail that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise, like decide to turn your brakes off completely on the trailer or to use your trailer brakes to uh, lock the tires on the trailer when you're backing up so that the trailer uh, jackknifes sooner than it would if you were just trying to push it mm -hmm. and roll it into a jackknife. 
that can be really good when you get yourself in a pickle on a trail and you need to turn around, right? I've seen you do all these things. It's <laughs> awesome. Exactly. So another one I like that you, you taught me was going down extremely steep slopes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if you're, if you're going down an extremely steep slope, uh, maybe it's uh, very loose. It might be sandy, shale, whatnot, and you're coming off that drop-off, it gives you that opportunity to not use as much braking action on your tow vehicle and to engage the trailer brakes and basically serve as a drag anchor, like a parachute anchor on a sailboat, mm-hmm. right? It's like just, a drogue. Yep. Yeah, exactly, like a drogue. Same kind of thing. And um, if you ever in, encounter trailer sway, it might be road conditions, it might be cargo might have shifted, um, wind, something like that, while you're driving down the road, you can engage that trailer brake separately and it'll take the sway out of the trailer immediately. It'll hmm. just pull Didn't it straight. Yeah. yeah, do not hit your vehicle brakes when that happens. Because basically when you hit your vehicle brakes, you shorten that wave and it'll start to encourage more sway as you hit your vehicle brakes. But if so you just kind of grab the controller. Grab the controller, hit it, and it'll, it'll straighten it right out. Imagine if you have a, a, a rope and it's this a wavy rope and if you just grab one side and tighten it up huh. what happens yeah you, take dis- yeah you take distance out of it exactly yeah. so that's a really good technique uh and maybe you're being stupid and you're going too fast down the highway and you suddenly see a highway patrol officer and you don't want to see your brake lights just hit your trailer brakes. <laughs> <laughs> no that's a good that's a good one and the other one that i've seen you do with great effect is um shortening the turning radius of the entire rig mm-hmm. by dragging the trailer brakes around it like a switchback for example exactly yeah that's that scenario we were talking about earlier where the trailer wants to come around the inside of that corner you know that obstacle uh, that if you hit the trailer brakes uh, it will lock the tire and it'll keep the trailer from climbing that obstacle and it'll force it to drag around because you've locked it and the wheel can no longer turn yeah yeah so it won't climb the <laughs> obstacle and I've watched you do all that. You've taught me all of those techniques on the, <laughs> on the, on the trail, Mario, and I've used them all to, to great effect. So learning, taking, you know, finding someone who can teach you a little bit about trailer driving, that's a rare thing to find. A lot of the manufacturers don't have that ability, but, um, you know, just make sure that you do some research. There's some good information out there on the web, even about towing with a trailer off-road. The other thing that you want to consider is your tow brake controller. Uh, there are some that are designed for off-road use. So, for example, Red Arc makes a trailer brake controller mm-hmm. that has algorithms built into it for off-road use. You can actually set it to an off-road setting. And then some of the more modern vehicles, when you hook up to um, a truck that has integrated brake controller from the factory, like a GMC or you know, Toyota's got them now, whatever, then it works with the vehicle stability control to help manage Mm -hmm. the sway. And it also helps keep the trailer brakes from locking up. So there's actually been vehicles that I've tested towing a trailer where the ABS on the vehicle also worked as ABS on the trailer, which was impressive. So it's backing off the gain on the the, uh, electromagnet. Exactly. So it's very clever how it all works together and it keeps getting better and better. So Mario, what's your favorite kind of trailer? Like for you, if you were to right now build a one-off Mario version, what would you what would you go with? Oh man, I, I get that's that's going to depend upon the end goal. Right? <laughs> you get to pick. So, 
My favorite hot tub, <laughs> hot tub trailer, hot, hot tub and wet bar. Uh, yeah, we're done. <laughs> Maybe an inflatable palm tree. And some are we talking about Paul May here? Yeah, we are. It comes with a little flip flop holder. Yeah. You know, when I'm, when I'm out and I'm supporting a group of people, I really like my dense cargo trailer because that's usually what I need. I need to carry more gear than I can in the vehicle. And so that's nice if we go out and we do a motorcycle trip and you know, guys come along with six helmets and four pairs of boots and whatnot sure so that's pretty nice to have um and and typically i'm going to be towing that with my truck that already has camper on it so that's the self-contained vehicle so if you have the self-contained vehicle but you need to carry more gear go with the cargo right um but if you don't have the self-contained vehicle um i don't know my utopian camper would be the Aterra camper. There you go. Right? On a trailer. Yeah, sure. That yeah. would make sense. Yeah. We even had this crazy idea of putting one on a pontoon boat, but that's another <laughs> podcast right there. <laughs> That'd be, Overwatering the oh, trend. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. And how about for you, Matt? If you were if you were to not be I know, don't cry, but if you were not trailers. if you were not gonna be in the Earth Roamer, what uh and you don't have to answer the question. You can, can just, just be you can just be Earth no Roamer put it on a trailer <laughs> cut the all right, board so, piece yeah on. all right yeah we get it <laughs> honestly we get, honestly we get it we get it we get it motorcycle trailer no no i mean i think the trailer that tows you i, I don't have a, i don't have a particular brand other than probably like the 24 foot airstream yeah I like those, those. Are, yeah, yeah they hold their I, value I, really well yeah i just for me it's it, got to be an old one though yeah like i i, I really wouldn't tow um off-road that much and you can still take an airstream down a dirt road chris cordez did it you yeah. know there's there's some suspension systems and stuff for them I, I really like the airstreams i think they look cool i think they're decently made um, a little better than the usual mm. um i also like good resale too i like the brooder stuff i guess what i'm trying to get at is something in that like 24 26 foot enclosed space for me because if i'm gonna tow I have to have the benefit of some comfort. Yeah, that's a forest road trailer right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I like that 14, 15 mm. foot box with a with a dry bath. Those are pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, you combine that with the tongue, now you're about the same length as a tow vehicle, typically yeah. in the 20 foot range. Yeah, so that we've been using that 14.5 Explorer trailer and it's... It's got yeah, a lot that of power. It's really nice. Yeah, it's got air conditioning and it's like I can work in that thing. I can take it to be my mobile office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of like now that I've gotten used to the sailing, it's like that's about an equivalent of a sailboat yeah, guess, kind of experience guess, yeah. for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I think it works out pretty well. But I've also really enjoyed towing smaller trailers and, and you know, being able to go to the Arctic Ocean with the Chaser that many years ago. That was cool. And you and I crossing El Camino del Diablo with the very first trailer. That's right. I think we actually, and it may have even been the same unit. I can't remember which, I think it may have been trailer number one, but, or maybe you had a prototype before that, but there was a prototype. Yeah. yeah. But we ended up, we ended up doing El Camino del Diablo with the trailers. So, you know, Mario, we, we really appreciate you taking the time. Trailers are something that people consider a lot yeah. for overland travel. Yeah. Um, as we always talk about on this podcast, make sure that you're um, spending your money on the experiences for you and your family uh, before you spend the money on the gear. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you have extra cash and you really want to have some extra cargo storage or you want to, like Matt talks about, leave it in the garage all ready to go and you just get to back up your vehicle and take off on your trip. Or if you want to have that toilet, shower, 
air conditioner, cigar all humidor, that, yeah, humidor, <laughs> yeah, whatever. That that's all possible too. So, Mario, thank you so much for taking the time with us today and sharing your experience. Um, if people want to find out more about you, Mario, and maybe even be able to reach out, how would they contact you? Jeez, just Google me or <laughs> go yeah. to uh, atoverland.com, and uh, we're always available. Yeah, you guys have been doing this for a very long time. so. Yeah, we sure have. It's yeah. been great. Yeah, awesome, Mario. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Matt, anything else other than everybody should buy an Earth Roamer? I mean... I didn't say that, but I said that. Uh, <laughs> all right. We thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>